Can't hurt to ask, right? Today on the Pedagogy Toolkit, we will be discussing the who, what, when, where, why, and how of asking good questions in the classroom. So, Cammie, you have uh, nieces and nephews? I do have nieces and nephews. I have many of them, but um, I have one is 10. He'll be 11 in October. Uh, and the other is eight, turning nine in May. Okay. So remember when they were a little younger, mm-hmm. I'm betting? Yes. And they asked lots of questions and not just questions, but like continued why? They actually still do, especially the eight-year-old. Good. Um, and th- that's always been kind of her personality. Um, if she and I and anyone else are in a car together, she's it's just a constant stream of questions to me and me explaining things to her because I'm the aunt, not the mom. So I don't say, stop asking me questions. You know, I just answer them because that's, yeah. that's what aunts do. Uh, and the other person just shaking their head, <laughs> sitting in silence because that's all they can do. It's such a stereotype of little kids and it's such a phase that every kid goes through at least, if not become part of their personality. <laughs> it's this phase of, but why? Yeah. But why? But what about that? But if it's that, then what about that? Then what about that? <laughs> well, how come this? Right. Um, and so I know we, we, like, we joke about it and we get frustrated with it. And I've started to wonder if that frustration is actually what makes when, when kids see the adults in their life get super frustrated with them asking questions, it makes them stop wanting to ask questions as they get older. And I have um, recently, I asked some students to talk about a time recently where they saw courage. And they almost universally discussed someone who asked a question in a large class. That was, they were impressed. They were, they felt like that was the most courageous thing they had ever seen. Because asking questions is hard. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the other reason we stop asking questions because, you know, we go into those developmental stages when it really matters what the people nearest to us think, and we're so afraid of making fools of ourselves. Yep. And, uh, you know, especially when you have undergrads and junior high, I would say junior high through your bachelor's degree. Yeah. It's kind of that stage. I think you're right. <laughs> where, where those social interactions really matter, and it's hard to put yourself out there sometimes. And actually, so I mostly work with humanities courses, and so do you. I feel like most of our courses that we work on rely on good discussion. Yes. You definitely have to in the humanities. You rely on good discussion boards, and that comes down to good discussion questions. That comes down to really knowing the right questions to ask. And I feel like that's one of those things that becomes such an afterthought for us because we just go, yeah, of course, we ask questions. We're teachers. That's what we do. We ask questions and students answer them. (laughs) Ta-da! That's that's how that works. That's how school works, right? That's how school works. Um, But they're such ultimately the basis of learning. Right. Because how else would we know anything? You need curiosity, right? And that's part of questioning. It's learning is absolutely at its root. It's about asking and answering questions. And we go back to the Socratic method. Experimentation is all rooted in asking questions. 
your hypothesis is all based on how you think a question might be answered. Um, businesses, every every business, every innovation, every um, advancement in humanity has come about because of a question. Yeah. What if this happens? How can I do this? How do I make this better? Yeah. From the wheel of how do I get this thing across a room or across the, the plains yeah. um, to what if I could carry my entire music collection in my pocket? And now we do. And now we do. <laughs> the why does an apple fall? Why do these finches all have different beaks? Why do, um, you know, how can I talk to people across the the globe? Everything comes down to a a question that needs an answer. And as we were putting this together, um, I started thinking, I still need to get my head around all the the organization of all these thoughts. And so then I remembered that what I was actually doing was talking about questions. And I went back to what is the question I'm trying to answer with this podcast? Yes. And that question is, how do we encourage rich discussion in an online classroom? Yeah, we don't think very deeply about how we're asking questions. You know, that's not something that people sit around and ponder. How can I ask a better question? I'm right. just pondering this on my Saturday afternoon. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's not something that people think about a lot. But also, um, when you're learning new material, sometimes it can be difficult to know what questions you need to ask and to sit there and um, analyze because you're you're asking like basic questions like what is this not how does this relate to this other thing and how can I connect it with my own life you know you're thinking about uh, what answer do I need to give so that I can get the right answer in this discussion board and move on with my life yes and so I think that comes down to there um, being kind of two types of two primary types of questions there's open and closed questions. And closed questions are the ones that have an answer. That is, what time is it? <laughs> that is, uh, where am I right now? There is a correct answer. We tend to use that in education as a way to assess prior knowledge, to assess if a student has learned a thing. Yeah, these are your multiple choice questions, these, right? Yes. These, these are, are your low stakes testing. These are your low stakes testing pieces. These are, is it right? Yeah. Is it wrong? End of story. <laughs> Carry on. Um, and it's easy for us to ask those questions because, again, as teachers, we sort of go, we want to make sure they know it. And we want to make sure that that we know more than them. I don't know if that it, – it's sort of – it's not even that we want to know more than them. It's just we feel like we have to be the expert. Yeah. Well, as a teacher, you feel like it is your responsibility to provide answers, right? Right. And so you want to ask questions that – there is an answer for that there is an answer for because if there's not any parent knows the first time their kid looks at them and asks a question that they don't know the answer to it's like oh yeah i don't know and i don't know is one of the hardest things for adults to say on the other hand there's open questions and those open questions don't necessarily have right and wrong answers those are the ones that have multiple factors that play into that there are things that maybe you, even as the instructor, don't know the answer to. And those are the ones that drive learning, that really push a student to find an answer, to find further questions, um, 
to get deeper into what they are learning and not just finding a right answer. There's a lot more in our world that doesn't have right answers. Yeah, I think those open-ended questions, um, they are kind of a way to just grapple with the unknown. And that's a skill set. It's not just a type of question. That is a skill set to be able to grapple with things that you don't know, to be able to say, you know, I don't have an absolute correct answer here, but this is what I believe and this is maybe why. You know, this is where I've formulated my opinion based on these other facts that I know. And so that's where we can get into there's different types of open questions, too. So we get into um, are we asking clarifying questions, which may still have kind of an answer, but or is it are, do we just need to clear up some things before we understand what's happening further? Um, probing questions where we're trying to get deeper into whatever the topic is. We're trying to go further and ask the especially if we're asking a student, we're trying to ask that student to think deeper. We're trying to ask them to get, um, to go past what they see on the surface. And then those hypotheticals that we've talked about, the sort of the what if, what if we could do this? What if the world was flat? What would the horizon look like? Yeah, and, and just a note, we don't believe that we the don't world believe is flat. That, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, those are ways to um, think through beliefs that you don't believe, right? Yes. That is, um, when you're asking questions like that, you're, you are guiding the students to ask questions of themselves, which is where they get to question their own rationale on things. Um, I conducted a discussion with some, some students a while back that they brought up, one student brought up a particularly hot topic issue. And then it became quickly clear that that he was a lone voice of dissent in that group of 20 mm. young people. So that was where I felt like it was my job as the instructor to step in and start asking questions. Yeah. So that it didn't become a pylon, so that it didn't become um, just a defending, everybody defending their position. Because that's great if you can defend your position, but be prepared to relinquish your position as well. To celebrate the being wrong, to celebrate the not knowing, to to celebrate all those pieces. Yeah, and to respect that people have differing opinions from you. Yes. So I started asking the student to explain why he believed that, what he thinks. And, I mean, in in very um, tight, clear questions, nothing, nothing leading and nothing um, loaded. I don't want leading and I don't want loaded. Right. And that can be a hard thing, too, for instructors to be able to ask questions without knowing what they want the student to say. Yes. Or, yeah, without leading the student to get to where you want them and letting them kind of take their own journey to that answer. Well, what was beautiful about asking this student those questions was it modeled for the rest of the students that how you can ask questions to get further information, clarifying questions and probing questions, and then they were able to jump in and ask their own questions or rethink their own opinions. 
Yeah. Which was really awesome. I got to see them do that and go, oh, actually, I see what he's saying. I still don't necessarily agree, but I see what he's saying, and maybe it's a more complex issue than what I thought it was. Right. And that's that's the power of asking questions in those moments. So how do we generate and develop these questions that we're asking of students? Um, especially in an online model. It's a little bit different in online than it is in person because it you is. don't have the live action going on. Uh, well, in our asynchronous courses, we don't. Right. Um, you don't have the ability to sort of read the room in the same ways that you might. And so that is why it can be that much more important to um, be very deliberate in how you ask your questions, in the wording of your questions. Yes. Uh, in that asynchronous online environment, wording is very important because whatever is on the page, you have to kind of think about how people are going to perceive uh, that question or how they're going to interpret it. Are they going to understand your meaning in that question or, you know, are they creating their own? And there's always a little bit of both. <laughs> right. And I mean, and, and with an open question, you want a tiny bit of both, but you want to be prepared to consider all possible outcomes. <laughs> when you When you ask a question, you want to say, what are the various answers I could get from this? That comes down to knowing your students as well. Yes. I think that comes down to knowing who your students are and, and what they're – that's why I don't suggest starting with hard questions. <laughs> no, we need to start with, uh, I would say, those more open questions to see where students go with it, right? Yeah, but questions that are not controversial, questions that are not no. um, going to kind of, you know, pluck the heartstrings. Like, let's just – Let's just ask no. ask some very broad questions, low stakes, broad questions. But then you start to get a feel for who your students are, and you can kind of anticipate where you think some of those answers are going to go. Yeah, and it's um, a lot of times that's kind of like your pretest for their knowledge of on that subject. Yes, um, and and you can't do this like even in a little quiz that you, you know, shoot out to them. Um, you can do it on a discussion board as well, but sometimes it's more fun to kind of get that pre-knowledge somewhere else and then pull that into the discussion board and say, hey, you know, I noticed X, Y, and Z. So on your discussion board this week, I want you to think about this before you answer the question. Yes. And those, those pieces can also um, guide what you decide to do with your class after that. That's part of that pre-testing, but it can even be in those more soft skill kind of ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing that, that I think we can do as instructors is to really build our curriculum around questioning. Around questions. Yeah. I know um, you and I have talked about the Socratic seminar method before. Yes. And how and we don't think of using that in an online environment, but it is possible. And we've seen people set up their discussion boards using a Socratic seminar kind of method. Sure. When they now usually you have to require like two different due dates for your posting. So mm -hmm. your students' first response and that must include a question. 
uh, you know, it has to be due a little earlier in the week. And then the later response that responds to those questions. Sure. You know, uh, it kind of gets your discussion going, but it's it's all about kind of keeping that knowledge moving forward, that exploration of knowledge moving forward. Yes. I also like um, when I've seen instructors ask the students to answer including questions so that their answer, they, they respond to a question, but then they also include a question in their response. Again, having them practice those questions that are a little more open where they genuinely don't have a, a set answer in mind. Yes. So that you can't, like you said, drive that learning forward, drive the discussion forward. That's ultimately what a discussion is, is it's that bouncing back and forth to move towards not even resolution, but just to move forward in a, a topic. And so that... Yeah, it's what we think of academia as a lot of times. You know, that's what our... That's why we do literature reviews in academia, right? It's moving the conversation forward. Yes. It doesn't mean that we have the solid right answer right here in this moment. Uh, and we can, but sometimes it's just, here's another piece of information on this topic that we needed to you know, understand a little better. I have seen instructors um, write their instructions for the discussion group where the response, so they put in their first, their initial post, and then their response to someone else has to, it has to do something to alter what the original statement was. It can't just be, oh, yeah, I totally agree. I agree. Thank you so much for your response. I'm so glad you brought this up. I have experienced that as well. Great job. Thank you. Like <laughs> th that doesn't move anything forward. And that's when you see the students say something and then there's a response and then there's no more. Well, that's when, you know, online environments, for some reason, it is super easy to just get into that auto mode where you're just like, I just need to meet these requirements and get this done so I can move on to the next thing instead of really sitting down to ask yourself what am I learning about this topic? What are these people saying about this topic? You know, could we engage? I've it absolutely been that person in the online space. Oh, it's space. me. It's, it's <laughs> totally me. I describe it so well because it's me. <laughs> but, I, but I also recently in an online course that we're in right now, um, a topic came up that I, that someone had an opinion about, and it has become a space where people are willing to express different opinions where it's respectful dialogue, where um, I felt very comfortable jumping in and saying, I disagree with this because of these reasons, and and actually engaged in the discussion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do say, I think it's not just the students that are a little scarred by online discussion boards sometimes, but also yes. the teachers, um, because they've seen students get into those controversial topics and it's hard to say, okay, guys, let's, you know, it, it's a lot harder in an online environment to step in yes. and redirect the conversation sometimes because you're not online at the same time. Not because, you know, you can't jump in and say, hey, let's think about this in a different way. Um, but but just those, those scars <laughs> of, of, of dealing with all the controversy that can come with engaging in difficult conversations. Well, and that's, I think, again, it comes back to that creating a culture in your, 
and which is something we should probably do a whole podcast episode on some more in addition to right, but just it, instructor presence. This comes back, I think, to it is the culture, uh, like we were talking about, but also it's finding the questions. Uh, and part of part of this, uh, part of having those questions where students feel okay, like you were just talking about, yeah. you know, you felt really good about saying, I disagree with this and this is why. It's making that safe environment. Yes. So that's setting the culture. Um, but also celebrating when students do ask hard questions saying, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Let's talk about that in this way and making it not a threat to anyone's belief system, right? Yes. We're not trying to be, you know, We've already set the culture here. We've made it a safe space. But making it also that culture of of questioning, of knowledge gathering. And I think that's the, the teacher modeling the uh, sometimes when a student says something, be, be willing, even, even if it's not true, be willing to say, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Be, be willing to say that's a new that's a totally new way of looking at it. It's great when it really happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun when I have, you know, when I've been teaching yeah. something and a student comes up with an interpretation for something that I go. That you didn't think about oh, before. Oh, I never, like, I would never have looked at it that way. Talk to me some more about it. And then that's when you can start asking those questions of talk to me more about that. So where did you see that? Where did you find that? What made you think that? What, you know, what outside of the text makes you think that? What is it I mean, really... Because those are questions I genuinely want the answer to. Right. And that that matters a lot. That goes a long way. If you can ask questions that you genuinely want an answer to and you don't want them to just check a box. One of the other things that we can do is to really teach students to ask better questions. Because sometimes, again, like we talked about, you know, if you're a new learner to that topic – then you don't always know what questions to ask. And so giving them the skill of asking really good questions about any topic at all <laughs> uh, can be really helpful to them beyond your classroom, right? Yes. And, so, um, and so really thinking through, hey, this is how we ask questions in our discussion board in this class. You know, those are kind of classroom procedures, right? But it's skills they carry beyond sure. them. Well, and really focusing on teaching those up front. Yeah, yeah. From the very get-go, these are in the part first of your couple of... discussion board directions. They're in every one. Students can always reference them. Yes. They're in the introduction to your class. Hey, by the way, our discussions look a little different in this class. Something I've, I've started doing is asking students to, before they even submit a thesis statement for a paper or a research project, what is the question you are trying to answer? Yeah. With this paper, what what is the question you're answering? What so so what? Yeah, what what is the purpose of you writing this at this point? Why do we care to read it? Right. Is it something that I'm going to already know all the things about? Then why do I want to read it? Is it something that you already know all the things about? Then why do you want to research it? What's the yeah? What is the impetus here? Why why even bother? And I think. That's also where I love the idea of building curriculum around questions completely. I've long wanted to do an American history course that focuses on two questions 
how did we end up with the social media environment that we are in now? Interesting. And how did we end up with the judicial system that we have now? Also interesting. I think how do we end up with fill in the blank here? Yeah. uh, It's a really great question about America in general because it's a lot of – it's the question that a lot of people are asking right now. Yes. And instead we end up teaching it – I mean this is kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent. But that's – instead we end up teaching it as um, here's where we started and here's the thing that happened next – And here's the thing that happened next, so that you have started so far removed from where these students are now. You start so far removed from where we are now. But if you can treat it as a question of, so how did we end up here here, and start backtracking it? And then you can actually basically fill in all the blanks going back, but you've... you've, um, You've bridged all those gaps. Yeah. Instead of starting hundreds of years in the past and trying to come up. So, and I, I've seen uh, people do that in the sciences as well. I've seen chemistry classes I love starting with um, very much questions of the origins of our everyday items yeah. and then being able to chemically trace back all the way back to the Big Bang, which is, I, I just I love that. I love the idea of putting it all as questions. And the student doesn't when you when you start from the beginning, the student knows knows where it started. It's like when you watch a movie where they start with the end and you go, "Ooh, how did that happen? How did we end up?" Have you ever watched movies like that where they start in the like Actually, there's one that <clears throat> it was the biggest surprise in the Oh, Remember me, maybe? Oh, I think we've talked about this because yes. I did not I had not seen it. I'm gonna stop right here. This is your spoiler alert. We are going to talk about the endings of a couple of movies. So you might want to skip forward a minute or so. Yes. Did I but you know the ending. Yes, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought we had talked about it and you knew the ending and yeah. I was not about to spoil it no, for no, you. No. But but yeah, when um so it's a movie and it it just starts talking about this guy's life and, you know, his relationship problems. And then at the very end, you know, he's visiting his dad in his dad's office and they're about to go do something as a family. His dad isn't in the office with him. He's waiting on him. He had gone somewhere else. And then you see the plane heading for the tower and you realize it was about 9-11, the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. Um, and so it you're like, how did what? What? <laughs> you know? And, and none of that was happening in my life right then. I, you know, it wasn't in your focus. Right. And so you're not making the connections of here we are. This could end up being a movie review. I don't know if you <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Prestige. No. Um, I used to teach it along with um, Jekyll and Hyde. It's it's about um, these magicians who are sort of their friends, and then at different points they are um, their enemies, kind of. It's one of those movies where you you do start a little bit in the middle of the action. Mm-hmm. You you start trying to figure out how you got there. So the movie starts. Going back to, okay, so this is how we ended up with this. But there are so many twists and turns in it that at the end you go, 
And there are a million Reddit threads um, posing theories on what actually happens in the movie. And that's, I love that when it can spark those questions. Think about that. Yeah. That's been some of my most successful teaching moments, too, are when the students go, they come in the next day and they go, what was that? I think if, and they were the ones that clued me into all these Reddit threads. I had no idea. They had been, oh, they started asking the questions and looking and trying to find the answers. And that's what you really ultimately, like, that's the yes. ultimate goal with questioning strategies is to get students to that point where they are the ones asking questions because it's an engagement strategy. Absolutely. Right? You're in getting them to engage and be interested in your material because ultimately we're all kind of like problem solvers. If there's something that's just nagging in our brains, we have to answer it. Yeah. We got to figure out what, how do I fix this? How do I make this work? So, I mean, so we've talked about the ways that we can model that, that we can do that in these sort of um, sort of more low-key kind of ways. There are some really uh, structured questioning strategies that people can use. Um, I don't know if you've looked at the Right Question Institute, um, but I, I love that as a name for, for something. I also love that as a name. I haven't uh, looked at it a lot, but... They developed the question formulation technique, the QFT. Um, and I've used this quite a bit when you're just needing, when you need to figure out what the right question even is to ask. Right. Because that is hard when you don't know, when either you don't know enough about what you're looking at mm -hmm. or reading about or whatever, it's hard to know what questions to ask. When you're so overwhelmed with information, it's hard to know what questions to ask. When there's so much in front of you, it's the where do I even begin kind, yes. of, kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And so the, the QFT is a protocol where you spend two minutes writing down every single question you can possibly think. There are no bad questions. There are no good questions. There are no dumb questions. There are no, like, literally every question you can possibly think to ask about the subject. The brain dump of questions. The brain dump of questions. So if I was asking questions about the room we are sitting in right now, it might be, why are the covers on these microphones black? <laughs> why is there padding on the wall? Why is there padding on the walls? What does that clamp do? Right. No, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it makes no difference. Just, just throw all the questions out there for several minutes. Then... Round two is determining which ones are open questions and which ones are closed questions. Closed questions, these work really great working with groups, too. Um, and they can be done. We'll get into how they can be done asynchronously in just a second. But that's so the next round is what's closed, what's open. Closed questions, you can just answer those. You can look those up. You can find the answers to those. There's a reason. We can go ask Sharon why that clamp is there. Yes. There is a reason for that clamp being there. That's right. There's a reason for the padding on the walls. Those things, there's reasons. So um, There's probably even a reason why the microphone covers are black. There, Yeah, I'm sure there probably is. But then you start asking questions like, why do Cammie and I tend to sit in the same <laughs> chairs when we come time. in? Why is that? That's a kind of an open question. I'm not sure why. Creatures it's of habit. Creatures of habit. And, and so... But what put me in this chair in the first? So what is it? So you start, you have all these questions, and those are your 
open. So then you, now you've got this list of open questions. So now you can start looking at which ones you think you feel more urgency to answer. So you can start prioritizing which ones you work through. This is great when you've got groups of students because then you get some consensus for who, which questions they want to see being answered. Um, and then you start going through and answering and building plans to answer the questions and start figuring out how you're going to tackle these open questions. I've done it both synchronously, I've done it asynchronously, and I've done it in person, and face-to-face. -face. We, we do have synchronous online classes and asynchronous online classes. Yes. The majority of our online classes are asynchronous. But if you are doing this in a synchronous uh, space, uh, yeah, it, it is even easier. But you also have a lot, you, you know, you can do it right there on a whiteboard in your Zoom session. You can, or team session, yeah. <laughs> your virtual meeting space, your, your, whatever your you're using. Your virtual meeting yes. space. Um, but asynchronously, that looks a little bit different. And a lot of times you're kind of front loading yes. the question asking. And you use a specific tool. Will you tell us a little bit about Padlet? Um, Padlet is a free third-party tool um, that you can link out to from your Blackboard course. And it basically... You can set it up a lot of different ways, but it's almost like a bulletin board, like a virtual bulletin board. So you can set up all these post-it notes sort of on it. They can ask a question per post-it note, and then you can go in and move those post-it notes around, sort them through as closed questions, open questions. Then the students come back in, and you can answer those closed questions. Those open questions are left there. The students come back in and they start, you can set it up where they rate each question. So they can rate on a five star, a five, you know, five stars is the most important question for me, four, three, two, and, and identify, that's where you can start prioritizing which ones matter the most. And, and then call those back down and do, and keep doing those in rounds until you figure out what your most important questions are. The students can respond to each other's questions. Mm -hmm. They can start answering those closed questions. That's an even better strategy, is you can go in and answer those closed questions, but that can be... Add the closed like questions to a discussion board that's round specifically for closed exactly. questions. And, and let them go in and fill in those answers. Bonus points for getting them. You know, those yeah. kinds of things. Just give them the opportunity to go seek answers. Those are some of the ways that you can handle the QFT. Yeah. And any of these questions that you get on Padlet can be used in a discussion board. They can be used in an announcement. They can be used in your introduction video for the upcoming yeah. week. Um, but it's just a way to engage with your students. Man, now I'm wishing that I had done this. In, <laughs> I'm wishing that I had done this in my, in my um, first year experience class that I've been teaching that I had started with. Just dump all your questions about college. Yeah. And then we can sort them in open and closed. And then I can use those open questions as the discussion topics for the remainder of the course. Yeah. And the closed questions can be can resource just, building, yeah. right? Because usually that's what it's, how do I find this resource? Right. Or how do I, Where do I work on the thing? schedule? Where do and, I? Yeah. yeah. And, and here's a resource for that. Um, and we have yeah. a whole slew of resources to offer. And so, hey, here's your scavenger hunt. Yes. Oh, man. 
do this next time. (laughs) (laughs) And this this is what you do as a teacher, reflect and grow, right? Yeah, this is monitor (laughs) and adjust, monitor and adjust. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a million other things. So Socratic seminars can be more structured. Um, there's one called motivational interviewing. It's used more in um, like therapy stuff. I think it's it comes out of like cognitive behavioral stuff, but it it's becoming used more and more in business and education as ways uh, to help students identify motivation for learning something or for mm-hmm. tackling a project. Um, Force field analyses are when you have a, a problem. That's you ask lots of questions about that problem, and you start identifying where your, um, where the barriers are and where the positives well, are. And this one is actually a really good one to use in online uh, asynchronous courses because, you know, you can put an announcement say, "Hey." You know, here is the lecture for this week. You can find it in this place in the course. After you watch the lecture, email me what points we need to discuss further. What yes. more do you need clarification on? And don't, you know, don't pose it. What questions do you have, right? You're asking them specific things yes. to, so that they are focused on something to ask you and don't feel like a big blank is entering their mind. I don't have any questions. They actually might. Yeah. And leveraging them to answer and ask questions of each other the further you get into a course. Right. Um, I've seen some courses that have uh, sort of a water cooler. Discussion board. Discussion board section. Where anybody those. can ask questions. I know. I think they're great. But I think they have to be. Monitored. Monitored and set up. Yeah. Appropriately. Because I've also seen where they just don't get used. Because the students just go, yes. I don't. And. You have to build the culture in to yes. use that. You have to make it a classroom practice from the very beginning. Um, I've even had a course where there were two of these discussion boards. One was monitored by the instructor, and the instructor would answer questions. One was just for students to ask questions of each other. And that one was used, I think, more than the instructor That's one. That's interesting. And now, we'll say this was a course that in the homeworks, it was fine to talk about your homework with other students. Okay. Uh, and so that's why that was okay. Um, your, you know, exams were proctored, live proctored. And so, yeah. um, and so there, you know, that was the, where you kind of showcased you had done the practice and done your knowledge. Well, and that actually reminds me that that's one of the ways that it can Questions can be one of the strategies you use to sort of thwart ChatGPT and all the AI, all the AI, all the generative (laughs) AI. Um, The more both open and specific your questions are, uh, the harder it will be for them for them to have to follow up on each other's questions. It starts to become more work for them to (laughs) to use an AI than to just actually just actually answer. The questions, the the better you can structure your questions to suit the moment, to suit the course, to suit the students themselves, well, the harder it is and, and the less point it becomes. And I will say, and this is really like those questions that thwart AI bots, uh, those are just the questions that we want to be asking anyway, because they're the ones that make students critically think about your topic. Yes. And that's our goal, right? Yes. To get students to critically think about it and think it through for themselves. What are some other benefits? So we've talked about 
thwarting chat GPT. <laughs> um, well, okay, go ahead. Another thing is when you have students coming in um, and you're just giving, here's all your material, right? They don't have a lot of buy-in to it. They don't have investment. And so when you get them to start creating and generating those questions, then they suddenly have more buy-in. They've spent time creating something for the course. And that's how you get engagement. It's when you are, you know, if whether it's the workplace uh, or the students, they have a purpose in the course now. That is relevant to them. That is relevant to them that they are giving into. Yes. And that also um, can create sort of a teamwork aspect yes. as well. If the if the class is working towards, if you have those questions that the class is working towards answering together, you can build that that class culture Similarly, that's that's why I also like often teaching things that I don't necessarily know the precise bit to, um, because it means that I'm discovering with them. And that, I think, creates some buy-in from them as well. When they know that they yes. are, that we are working together on it, I am not dictating to them. Right. Because then it becomes a collaboration. And, um, you know, like... We've talked about this before, but that's another skill that you will need, again, in life, in the workplace, um, or anywhere else outside the workplace as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about this in a few places now, so that's got to be another benefit, is that this is establishing skills that will benefit students outside the classroom, that is really readying them yes. to take their place in the workforce. Um, I will say when I've had to, when I've been hiring, when I've had people working, I was going to say under me. That's a, I hate that phrase. I when I when I've been the manager of people, <laughs> of people, um, I have always, I will always take the person who's willing to search for an answer and ask the questions um, over the person who just sits there and waits to be told what to do. Yeah, and I think that's a similar. Once you can build that that um, foundation of questioning, you're building that foundation of of perseverance, of taking ownership over things and having them be able to carry that learning outside the classroom. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we could honestly, we could go on and on and on and on about questions for forever and ever, uh, but we won't subject our listeners to that. We will put a whole lot of things in the notes, though, for well, this episode. Because now we have answered the question that we came here to answer. We did. And the question we came here to answer was, how do we encourage rich discussion in an online classroom? And I think we've given some strategies for that. We will give some links in the show notes. Um, thanks for joining us today on the Pedagogy Toolkit. Don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.